Okay, welcome everybody. We're back here with Tensor Voices. Uh, and today uh, we are myself, Thomas, and Eliana is uh, back in Portugal. And our guest today uh, is Kaya Kupias. Uh, and she's uh, at Aalto University in Helsinki in Finland. So hi, Kaya. Hello. Welcome to Tensor Voices. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Um, yes, so... I'm an, like Thomas said, I'm an assistant professor at Dalt University. Um, I'm working on nonlinear algebra, and I'm in particular uh, interested in applications in statistics and biology. And then, on the other hand, I'm also working on uh, matrix and tensor decomposition, so related to today's uh, topic. Hi, everyone. I'm Eliana, and. Uh I'm very happy to have you here, Kaye. And uh, we've been starting every podcast with a simple question, which is, what is a tensor? So for me, a tensor is a multidimensional array. Sometimes I also say that a tensor is a generalization of matrices to higher dimensions. But actually, this is a bit imprecise, right? Like if you want to be mathematically correct, because matrices and vectors are also special cases of uh, tensors. Um, so a vector is one dimensional array and the matrix is a two dimensional array. Um, and then what we usually mean as tensor is a three or higher dimensional array. So this is a higher order tensor. Um, and when I tell someone about tensors, for example, when I'm teaching a course, then I also like to bring the example of the Rubik's Cube. So namely, the classical Rubik's Cube has the shape of a 3 by 3 by 3 uh, third order tensor. But for it to really be a tensor, uh, one would also have to fill the, um, like all the uh, cubes of the Ru Rubik's Cube with numbers. <laughs> So, but then I, uh, on this uh, on definition, I would like to ask the provocative question, what kind of research, uh, serious research can you still do about arrays of numbers? Don't we know everything about matrices? So it can be so hard to uh, have three-dimensional arrays of numbers. Well, um, okay, now I don't know in which direction uh, to go with my answer, but um, so tensors are a natural way of recording multivariate data. And although we can like consider flattenings of tensors, uh, where we consider them as matrices, then um, by doing this we we forget some structure, right? So and then um, like we can do flattening and we can do matrix decomposition, uh, but this is often not as good as doing the original tensor decomposition where we have more structure than the flattening has. Okay, a tensor is something else than a matrix. This uh, this I accept. Uh, but what kind of questions can you ask about an array of numbers in terms of nonlinear algebra research? Well, I have worked on a few problems um, related to tensors. And uh, the first one of them is rank one tensor completion. So before I can tell you more about this problem, I have to tell you what is, a, what is the rank of a tensor. So one can think of rank one tensors as the simplest tensors that one can consider. Well, actually almost simplest tensors because the simplest tensor is the tensor filled with zeros. This is a <laughs> rank zero tensor. Rank zero tensor. Wow, yes. Um, 
And, and another thing when I say simplest, then I don't, uh, I don't refer to the dimension or shape of the tensor. So they can be of any shape or of any dimension. Rank one tensor um, refers to the entries of the tensor. So for example, a tensor filled with ones is um, a rank one tensor. Although rank one tensor can be also uh, a bit more complicated than that. Um, and when you want to state it more formally, then a rank one tensor is an outer uh, product of vectors. Okay, so now we know what is a rank one tensor. I still haven't stated the problem. Um, what is rank one uh, completion? So instead of having a complete tensor, this uh, multidimensional array, we see only some entries of the tensor and not all of them. Okay, and we ask the question, can we fill the missing entries in such a way that this tensor becomes um, a rank one tensor? Um, and so, although this low rank matrix and tensor the completion questions have been mostly studied by the optimization community, then um, these are in fact uh, completely algebraic uh, questions and one can use tools from nonlinear algebra. Um, so what kind of algebraic equations would appear if you want to complete um, a tensor? So first we have to consider what kind of equations appear uh, defining rank one tensors. So, mm -hmm. um, so the equations defining the rank one tensors are if you take your tensor and you flatten it to a matrix, in, in any reasonable way that you can flatten it. And then you consider two by two minors of these flattenings. And if you consider the solution sets of all the two by two minors, if you get them this way, then you get um, all the rank one tensors. Okay. So, and this means that, sorry, I have to be careful here before I said that the rank zero tensor is the simplest tensor. So it actually, you get all the rank one and the rank zero tensor, uh, if you consider the solution set uh, of these equations. Um, and then this is now an algebraic variety. So for me, um, algebraic variety means a solution set of uh, polynomial equations. And, and now if you consider partial tensors, they are projections um, of these uh, algebraic varieties. In general, one has to be a little bit careful. Maybe they are almost projections with some points uh, missing. But uh, in rank one tensors case, it's really that you consider uh, projections of the, um, this uh, rank one tensors variety. And now the tensor completion problem asks, if I'm now considering a point in this lower dimensional space where the projection uh, lives, does it belong to the projection? Or in other words, um, does it have a pre-image uh, in the variety? So this is the, this is the algebraic question. And the algebraic tools that one uses for this is uh, elimination and extension theorems. But so maybe I won't go uh, into that. Are there any applications of, of this? Why, why would I... Uh want to know if a tensor can be completed in low rank or rank one? Yeah, so it's a common task in many areas of science. 
Um, examples include, for example, compression problems. So this means that one wants to remove extra components from the data that can be later reconstructed. So maybe we have large data set and we want to compress it into smaller data set or reconstruction uh, of visual data. So where unobserved entries correspond to missing data and we want to uh, reconstruct this uh, missing data. Um, and yet another example comes from chemometrics. So this is, so the previous examples that I mentioned, they're not necessarily for rank one tensors, but they're more like low rank tensors. Uh, that is a generous, so low rank tensor means not the simplest tensor as rank one tensors, but a little bit more complicated tensors, but uh, not completely complete or not like full, uh, not all tensors are allowed. And then in chemometrics, tensors have been uh, used to analyze uh, multi-component fluorescent mixtures and so what is what in chemo what what, what chemometrics chemometrics that's like measuring chemistry or uh, yeah, it's, what, uh, yeah it's measuring like my understanding of this is that you have substances and you measure properties of uh, of a substance and then you want to say okay is it like actually one like pure basic substance or is it like mixture of like several uh, substances and mm -hmm. and then you measure properties um, of the substances and then often when you do these measurements you get missing data or like you don't have all the measurements um, and then like asking is it just like one um, so this one component means one uh, fluorophore so uh, do you have just one fluorophore then you take this your measurements and see um, can you complete these measurements to a rank one tensor. Of course, one has to be a little bit careful here because um, like the algebraic results are often for noiseless case, meaning that we have uh, exact numbers and then in real life we always have noise. So, so this is um, a complication like that we can't directly consider the algebraic varieties, but we rather have to consider is our like measurement or partial tensor close to this projection uh, of the algebraic variety. Mm -hmm. So this sounds geometric. Uh, we will, in our course, we also talk a bit about the geometry of tensors. So you, you can really think about maybe uh, a small neighborhood. So the noisy version of the rank one tensor would be in a small uh, neighborhood of all rank one tensors. Is this a, is there a geometric way to think about this question? I would think about it exactly like you said that, uh, or like you said right now, you have this variety. If you have noiseless data, you're exactly on your variety. And then um, the more noise you add, the further away you get your uh, variety, like you're, you're outside the variety, but like how much noise there is depends how close uh, are you to the variety. And if you have such a problem, say a noisy rank one reconstruction uh, problem, what is the, from the point of complexity, the most challenging uh, point? Is it like dealing with the data structures or is it uh, doing some numerics or algebra or? That's a good question. I have to say, I haven't thought about it exactly like this, but it's related to another question 
that's known as the uh, Euclidean distance minimization. Um, that one has a data point, uh, one has a variety, and one is looking for the closest point uh, on the variety to your data point. And this is again now um, an algebraic problem. So. Um, Sounds like the perfect abstraction of this, uh, what we talked about before. Yeah? So the, the rank one tensors were replaced by just some variety and then distance was fixed to be Euclidean distance and, uh, well, you want to find the closest point. Uh, yeah. And now you get a new variety, right? Because now you get the variety that describes uh, all the critical points um, on the variety to your data point. So, so there are two mm. varieties uh, related to it. Yeah, it's very nice. It's good coincidence that this stays in the same realm, that the critical points of this uh, optimization problem are, uh, again, algebraic. Yeah. Uh, go going back to the tensor completion, um, you were mentioning that, you know, in algebra we work on a certain setting and usually in algebraic geometry we work over the complex numbers and have theorems for complex numbers. But I imagine in the applications you talked about, maybe we don't want to complete the tensor with a complex entry, or maybe not even with a negative entry. So how does that play a role? Yeah, so that makes the problem much more complicated, uh, because this algebraic theorems that I mentioned, the extension and the elim so elimination theorem uh, doesn't require an algebraically closed field like complex numbers, but the extension theorem uh, requires uh, complex numbers. Um, so this makes uh, the situation more complicated for real numbers and uh, in particular there are partial tensors where you only have real numbers and maybe it's completable to a rank one complex tensor but it's not completable to rank one real tensor. So these situations can happen. Um, and then if you require um, that you want to complete your tensor to non-negative entries um, this makes the situation even more complicated. So because now instead of algebraic varieties, we consider semi-algebraic sets. This means that we have polynomial equations and we have polynomial inequalities and, and we are looking at uh, projections of this semi-algebraic set. Um, this is a problem that's called quantifier elimination. Um, and this is in general a very difficult problem and like for example, computations can be done um, only in small cases. So, so it really adds another layer of complexity, complexity compared to the complex case and, and elimination um, for algebraic varieties. And together with Thomas and uh, two other um, co-authors, Svi Rosen and Maria Kummer in some very special tensors like diagonal partial tensors we could explicitly we actually couldn't say explicitly okay we could uh, we could describe the boundaries um, of the sets uh, that can be completed but so so this shows that like this problem is really hard even in very simple cases and and I don't think that much is known about this there's probably some sort of universality um, that you can you can get anything as this in this realm of sets uh, that you want to describe there's uh, probably 
uh, contained a large class of sets, uh, semi-algebraic sets, if not all. I think that might Something be true. Else. Because also for non-negative matrix factorizations, like there are universality results. So, so it's probably something similar. It's a trap. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> always a trap. You, have, you discover some mathematical structure uh, and you want to characterize it, say all numbers that uh, have a certain property and then you struggle for years and turns out that uh, basically any number except some small exceptions at the beginning <laughs> appears. <laughs> so good luck with your characterization. Yeah. Um, what's the future of tensors, Kaya? <laughs> is there a future? Is there a future for you or is there a future in general? Or uh, what, what's your view? Okay, so I wanted to say about the future of uh, tensors, but my answer is um, related to another question that you haven't asked me yet. Uh, or so, and that question was, what is the role of tensors in the real world? So mm -hmm. can I answer this question first and then get to that? Uh, sure, let, let me ask you, what is the role of tensors in the real world? <laughs> so tensors um, provide a natural way of recording multivariate data. And I would like to tell you about two examples that are related to biology, because I'm very interested in those applications. So the first example is that tensors are used increasingly in uh, gene expression studies. So when like historically one considered matrices and PCA, so in the, let's say, last five years or so, um, now one considers tensors. So, and tensors are especially used in the multiple tissue gene expression studies. What this means, we have third order tensor, where the three dimensions, they correspond to genes, individuals, and tissues. So you have uh, measurements for different individuals of different genes in uh, different tissues. And so the goal in the studies is to write the tensor as a sum of simpler tensors. So where each of the simpler tensor like represent, re represents some some property or some network of genes that influence, for example, uh, expression of, uh, of something, right? And, and there was this very influential paper um, by a group in Oxford a few years ago where they studied uh, gene expression data in fat cells, uh, blood cells and skin and they discovered using tensor decomposition methods, they uncovered several gene networks with clear biological um, significance. And my understanding is that like finding single genes that um, influence some trait is like easier to find. But if one wants to find um, several genes that maybe influence together a trait, that's uh, more difficult and especially like for these studies, uh, um, tensor decomposition methods have been uh, quite helpful. So this was one example. And another example comes from phylogenetics and bioinformatics. So the goal of phylogenetics is to reconstruct the evolutionary history of species. Um, before we can do that, we need uh, DNA uh, data from species for which we want to reconstruct the evolutionary history. Um, and the very first task is a task in bioinformatics. It's to align the DNA sequences for different species, meaning that we have a different, for each species, we have a sequence. And now we want to um, figure out 
which uh, regions of this uh, this sequences are nucleotides uh, nucleotides correspond to um, to each other uh, for a different species. Okay, and once the DNA for a different species is aligned, um, the data can be recorded in a tensor. And the order of the tensor is equal to the number of species. So for example, if uh, we have three species, then we would have a third order tensor. And each order or each dimension is labeled by uh, the four nucleotides uh, a, C, G, T. And let's say if we have these three species and we consider the entry of the tensor A, C, G, then this counts um, how many times uh, in these aligned sequences it happens that the first species has nucleotide A, the second species has nucleotide C, and the third species has the nucleotide G. So, so tensors is a very natural way of recording this um, DNA data for several species uh, at the same time. Okay, so now let me get to that. What's the future of tensors? Yes. And it's so the last thing that you saw on scale uh, said that sounds like it scales very badly because I, I mean, if I think of uh, a species tree, it will have like maybe a large number of different animals uh, or species, uh, and that would be like the order of the tensor, yeah. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes. But then it's a bit scary, but it's a bit scary, but then my understanding of phylogenetic methods is that often one considers, let's say, like four species at a time and tries to figure out like um what's the tree for them and like then combining from like smaller trees. Mm. Um I mean there are different methods, different reconstruction methods. Um but in any case, you know, this is like in any case, one has to record this data. And you can also record it as an array, right? Like you have mm. this uh, yeah. DNA information, but this is again, this flattening where you actually lose some uh, structure. Yeah, so the hope is always that there, there are, there's this immense amount of entries that a tensor has. If it has like, with the nuclear, it has like four times four times four times four times four times four. Uh, but by going to low rank, a, a rank one tensor would be, uh, would have four plus four plus four plus four plus four uh, independent entries. So uh, some uh, some of few rank one tensors would be also a good data compression. Uh, yes, and and actually this phylogenetics this is now also related to this um, tensor decompositions. So I might be mixing up now, but uh, for example, if you uh, look the tree tree leaves and something that's called Markov model. Uh, this actually corresponds to, I think, tensors of um, rank at most three. So, and if you have this um, data tensor uh, for the aligned species, um, and you want to infer um, the edge lengths of the tree or the parameters of the tree, this means uh, looking for a point in this tensor variety again um, that is closest to your. Mm your data point so it again leads us to okay now it depends which divergence or a distance one wants to use but uh, for example if you use Euclidean distance then it uh, leads again to the Euclidean distance minimization problem mm -hmm. interesting so what's the future of tensors <laughs> <laughs> so already in the last years 
tensors and tensor decomposition methods have been widespread in applications. So I have mentioned some applications like biology, chemometrics, data compression, visual reconstruction, but there are also other fields, for example, neuroscience or complexity theory. And I believe that this trend will continue uh, because the data is often naturally multidimensional, uh, as we have also discussed several times today. Um, and although one can flatten the data, uh, then this removes some structure. Um, and, and I really believe that tensor methods are in general more powerful than uh, classical matrix methods in, in many settings. But why now? So um, why not 10 years ago? Why not 20 years ago? And uh, why not in 10 years or 20 years? So what's the, what, is there <laughs> something that, that changed uh, fundamentally? Maybe computers are just about as powerful now uh, as we need them? Or? Well, I think that's one important thing, right? Especially in applications, one uh, needs to be able not to have only have the theory, like for example, the algebraic results that we talked about. This uh, could have probably as well done, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. But then in applications, for example, in this gene expression studies, when you have the large tensors and you want to find um, the tensor decompositions, and if I remember correctly, for example, in this um, the study uh, by the Oxford group that the composition is like around 250 or 300 dimensional. So that was just not possible uh, 20 years ago. So, so I think uh, this is probably one of the reasons, like the uh, computer power is one of the reasons why uh, tensor methods have become uh, more popular. But I don't know, what do you think? Uh, like, are there any do you see any other reasons uh, that might have in influenced that? Maybe it's just some exponential growth of the community. So exponential growth is like, it looks like really slow uh, in the beginning. And then there's a turning point where, although it's always the exponential growth, it's uh, maybe the community is growing and the number of results uh, in nonlinear algebra is growing exponentially and it has been like flat for so long and then suddenly it becomes visible that it's uh, growing exponentially. I don't know, just some speculation. This could be. Is there anything else? <laughs> um, about the future of tensors? Or I can tell about one more thing that I, uh, that I thought yes. about related to tensor networks. Um, yes, what are tensor networks? So... Tensor networks um, are like you have a graph and then you have to each vertex of the graph, you associate a tensor and then to edges, you associate the like modes or dimensions uh, of tensors. And basically this edges, they say how to multiply uh, the tensors together or like how to contract uh, basically the, this, this tensor network. So the easiest way is maybe if you have a matrix, you can put a vector in and get a vector. So you, if you multiply a matrix with a vector, you uh, get another vector because there's like one dimension you used up to uh, make it a vector. But the funny thing is you can also multiply it with a vector in a different direction and get a three-dimensional tensor. Exactly. Or like another thing could be if you multiply uh, two matrices, 
you can also see then you have a um, graph with uh, two vertices and one edge in between that says like you're multiplying the um, like or like yeah, one it one side of the matrix with the other with one side of the other matrix like the rule that we learn in, in algebra and I, and I guess you need to have this like tangling uh, edges that correspond to you know this um, remaining free two free slots of the of the result matrix exactly exactly so yeah so one way I like to think about tensor networks they're really in some sense more difficult decompositions than regular tensor decompositions, right? Mm -hmm. Like in tensor decomposition, you write it, uh, your tensor is a rank one tensor, but now like you have tensor network, when you do all these contractions and multiplications together, you, you get also like a large tensor, but you know that this tensor has a, like some complicated factorization uh, corresponding to your graph. And so- but I've seen these, They, they strike me like these uh, Feynman diagrams, like in physics, you know, particles come in and maybe there's even some uh, relation, some actual relation of, uh, of this. But it's a, another thing. In tensors, there's uh, always uh, good to have nice formalism. Formalism that somehow hides the complexity or, or like focuses on the, uh, what's actually going on. And uh, I think this tensor network wiring diagrams are... It's a it's a fun way. It's I mean it's a mess to uh, type them in LaTeX, but uh, on paper in paper on blackboards it works nicely. Yeah, um, yeah, and so like this tensor networks. So with my, uh, two co-authors with Per uh, Austria and Peter Kaski, we studied them as a model of computation. So uh -huh. which is given by tensor networks for evaluating multilinear maps. So the simplest example that you can think of this is matrix multiplication. And then the tensor that you consider is the matrix multiplication tensor. And, mm -hmm. and this has uh, ranks or border rank seven. So yeah. in our language, it basically means it has like cost seven, but one can consider more difficult factorization Like, as I said, I consider tensor, tensor networks in some sense like generalizations of uh, like regular tensor decompositions. And then one can ask like how many um, operations one needs to do to execute a tensor network. And of course there are many ways, like you can choose in which order you like contract the edges that I mentioned before. And like doing it in different orders uh, can give you like uh, different complexity results. And so mm -hmm. this is what we studied it, uh, with the uh, collaborators, like what's when using tensor networks, like um, what's the like, what kind of algorithms one can uh, get for like different combinatorial uh, optimization problems. And like this, um, so these tensor network models, they capture any algorithm based on low border rank tensor decomposition. So I already mentioned the matrix multiplication, but also like discrete Fourier transform. But then um, sometimes tensor networks give faster algorithms than those given by tensor decompositions. Um, so for example, for uh, certain clique counting problems or um, 
or uh, counting homomorphisms of a general pattern graph into a host graph. So one can get better algorithms than just using naively the uh, tensor uh, decompositions. Um, yeah, so I very think, nice. so this is one thing. And another thing, there was recently this very cool paper by by Alessandra Bernardi and her collaborators, where they studied the dimension of tensor network varieties. And so dimension of a tensor network variety, this basically expresses um, what's the um, like what's the expressivity of a particular uh, tensor network. Of course, you also have to uh, fix like what's the sizes of tensors that you uh, attach to each of the vertices. Um, and you have to specify the modes uh, related uh, related edges. But I think this is like a really cool paper. Um, That's very nice. I think this also goes well together in with our conversation that we had with Mateusz Michalik, where he was also telling us that we can think of a tensor as, as a computational model or like as a computational problem. And studying tensors means studying these, this complexity. So exactly. I, I think it's it sounds related topic. Yeah. Okay, so um, maybe it's time to say uh, thank you uh, very much for all this uh, interesting information. Thank you very much, Kai. Thank you for inviting me here. It was nice talking to you about dancers. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.